I'm Satya Nelms and this is Our Mother's Gardens. On this show, we discuss the seeds our mother sowed in us, the ways we have grown, and how we learn to blossom. In this space, Black women that have learned to define success on their own terms share stories of their beginnings, healing, and thriving. Welcome and thank you for being a part of this community of mamas, grandmamas, aunties, sisters, cousins, daughters, and friends. Today on Our Mother's Gardens, we have Adrian Oliver. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you for having me. Yes. <laughs> Adrian Oliver is an intuitive provocateur, expert daydreamer, and devoted mother. Her work is about surrendering ourselves to authenticity, justice, creativity, beauty, and expansion. Through her unique journey, she has carved out space as a multidisciplinary creator and leader. She consults, coaches, leads, teaches, speaks, writes, facilitates, curates, guides, and shepherds. Please join me in welcoming Adrian. Thank you so much. Do you like this? The crowd. <laughs> yes, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> So Adrian, again, welcome. And to start things off, I would like to know what do you think of when you hear the word mother? What is a mother? I've come into a place in the last uh, maybe maybe year, graciously two years, where I felt like my existence in motherhood was a, um, somewhat compartmentalized. I don't have um, an experience where I belittle motherhood and say I'm, I'm just a mom. Um, and I also don't hold it up as the exclusive role of my life, but I did begin to recognize that in all of my capacities, I I have a stance of tending. I want to nurture a thing. I want to sit with it um, and love it into maturity. And that to me feels like mothering. Um, and so I've come into a place of, of really thinking that, that that is what a mother does. And in that way, I see community doing that. I see uh, art doing that. I see activism doing that. It's it is the creation of legacy that is mother, right, and is um, mothering. So I, I I think that's where I exist, or at least that's that's how I conceptualize it now. Mm-hmm. And maybe that shifts as my child ages. I'm a single parent. Um, to one child and so perhaps that would shift were I to have another child but I I identify pretty firmly (laughs) as a mother and it's because it seems the connective tissue between all of the things that I do and and maybe the way that I envision the world a bit so you said it's been in the last couple of years that this has really kind of become clear for you 
what do you think has contributed to that clarity around what it is to mother? Um, I was in a relationship that was fairly destructive to me personally and sort of to my psychic container. And it took a couple of years of mothering um, before I created some distance, some physical distance between myself and that reality. So that was a contributing factor to really be able to stand my motherhood on its own two feet. That was a piece of it. Um, But at the time that I did that, as much as I created distance between myself and that dynamic, I also returned to where my family is and was welcomed back into my parents' home. So now I was standing my my motherhood on its own two feet in the space that was my mother's space. And so I think that both of those pieces... uh, really sharpened me up to be like, yo, <laughs> like, how do I mother? What does that look like? What do I mean when I say that? Um, what boundaries do I create? What, like, what is my, what's my philosophy about this work? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the mix of that was returning into some, uh, some safe or at least familiar spaces where I felt like my creative self I mean, like, let's, let's, I'll name that, that, um, uh, emotional abuse puts you in a place of questioning all components of yourself. And so I had abandoned all of my creative endeavors. Mm-hmm. And so to rediscover that energy, um, allowed me to recognize that I, I was entering into that work with a new conception of my own, of my own being, of Mm -hmm. my own self, of, of even my priorities Mm -hmm. in this world. Um, and so I think all of those were contributing factors that helped me in the past couple of years, put some language to this work that I'm doing. Um, and, and even maybe take a little more ownership of it. Mm. So going back to what you said about you know coming into your own as a mother in the space in which you were mothered can you tell me about who your mother who your mother was who your mother is Mm -hmm. so we are we are very dissimilar human beings in our style in our um in our tastes what we consume is is different um from the other um, but my childhood was one of that was fiercely tight knit. Um, my father went to med school at forty, so the same year mm-hmm. I went to kindergarten, my father went to medical school. So we were a, a family with bills, and right, and um, so he engaged in some work that moved us to the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, to um, Alaska, to Bethel, Alaska, which is like the fifth largest city in Alaska and has a population of like 5,000 people. Um, But because we were always sort of on the move, we were each other's unit. We were the dependable piece of, of one another's existence. And so though we are radically different humans, we are, are deeply bonded. Um, 
And that's an interesting experience for me. And I would say that the mothers I've sought out in the world, mm-hmm. um, they, they kind of mimic that, that they are dissimilar to me, but they're folks I can sit in silence with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, and that is a, that's a piece of, of my relationship with my mother that I cherish. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back into like coming back into her embrace was so deep I needed to come I needed to be mothered I needed to come home and be mothered I needed to, I needed to, to be the thing that someone was loving you know um, but I also found that in teaching her how I wanted her to love my child how I wanted her to express that love mm-hmm. and how I wanted their inter how I wanted their interactions to be and go mm-hmm. I, I realized that some piece of that was me teaching my mother how to mother me as an adult mm-hmm. and maybe even tending to a, a piece of child me mm-hmm. that had not received a thing and that's not a that's not a blame truly because as much as I seek to be in intuitive and responsive to my own child guarantee that girl comes home one day and it's like you know what you did not ever (laughs) I mean there's no you can't it's not infallible it doesn't work like that Mm -hmm. so um but I hope that I will do what my mother has done for me in my adult uh existence which is to say oh okay so what do you want me to do then Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you want me to ask that question or when you come to me and you speak in this way, my inclination is to offer this. Is that working for you? And when I say yay or nay, she vibes with that. And that's that's a really um, beautiful piece that she's she's been that she has grown into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess just as I asked about the way in which your definition of of motherhood has evolved and what has contributed to that was your mother always receptive in this way or was that a process as well and how um from the outside looking in how was that process if it was a process I was 1000 percent a process um I will I will say this as I have stepped um I am a mixed race black woman. I am light skinned. My child is um, white presenting. And so that sort of reckoning for us both um, created some grace in the way that we were navigating one another. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew upon my my daughter's birth that I I was going to um, fiercely nurture a love within her of her blackness of that as an identity as that um, of that as a a cultural reality of its legacy 
that I was going to instill that in her. And in doing so, it meant that I had to, I had to do that for myself in a way that I had likely not consciously done perhaps ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in doing that, we unlocked a piece within our relationship where I, I was able to more clearly articulate who I am, what I need, how I engage with this world, what my reality, what my lived reality is, um, in order to bring that to her. And I don't believe that I was able to do that as a younger person. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that I don't, I don't think she knew exactly how to give me that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was very good at. Um, so my parents married in eighty four, which is not even twenty years after the Loving decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like not even a generation later. Um. And on some level, I was like, maybe they're radical. But honestly, they're just like, I don't know that they are. (laughs) I don't know that they're remarkably radical people. They were engaged in radical work. They were activists in that sense. But I don't think that um, in some ways they're very like traditional folk. Mm -hmm. And so she was great about, I mean, do credit, she was great about seeking out beyond herself she was straight up like I don't know I don't know how to I don't know how to do that and she um engaged in community building for me Mm -hmm. um but I didn't really know myself enough truly to to ask for anything different from her and in mothering another being and mothering my child I did come into a place where I was able to articulate this is what I need from you mm-hmm. and here's how I need you to engage with us because this is our experience this is mine this is hers and here is we within all of that mm-hmm. um, so yeah so speaking to that you know when you were a child not knowing how to ask for certain things and you said earlier also that you and your mother are very dissimilar given that dissimilarity what were the things that were challenging about the way that your mother mothered you as you were growing up my mother likes to solve problems that doesn't when you just say it like that it seems so helpful (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't want my problem solved I wanted a place to lay that ache Mm. um in part because and I can look I can reflect back on it and say that I was I was conscious that some of my ache was not an ache she could understand it wasn't an ache she could fix um there's a legacy of ache and so there wasn't anything she could do about that um And I I was frustrated to some degree that she tried and she was frustrated that I seemed to want to express only um, and not move into like a problem solving space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I'm honest, I I couldn't have done, my problem solving about the aches that I 
hold the legacy of aches that I hold mm-hmm. that the, my problem solving the solution that I have for that is to um like mother li- for liberation is to mother as resistance is to um counteract through the way that I nurture this person so that her uh engagement with the world so that her lived experience um so that she is strengthened in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I couldn't have, at 13, I was not capable of, of really giving myself that or giving her that. Um, mm-hmm. So our, our deepest conflicts were around, and sort of strife were around um, the things that can't be fixed mm-hmm. and our approaches to how we navigate that. Yeah. Can you talk to me some more about the ache, what it felt like, and where it came from? Um, a lot of the ache was in feeling other. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only obviously speak from um, like my lived perspective, but there's an ache in... Um, in multiracial identities, or at least my multiracial identity, because I was very clear that I, um, I was, I didn't fit. And it, and I didn't necessarily, like, I didn't crave fitting into a majority. Um, it wasn't like that, Mm -hmm. but it was recognizing that I'm othered or I felt othered even by those who also seemed to feel othered. Mm. Um, I, I have a, I have a white mother. And so my, my upbringing in that sense is from a majority cultural perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even the way that I engaged in school, it didn't, or the, or like the activities that I was engaged in, right? Or like, like my mother made dinner. So the food I came home to, mm-hmm. those things distanced me from, from my black peers. Mm-hmm. And so I felt, I did feel some ache in, in, um, trying to understand where I fit in that mix. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because like, then colorism comes into play on top of it, right? And mm-hmm. so my my lightness afforded me a comfort. I was received with some sort of comfort, which made me very clear that um, there's this cultural racialized hierarchy and I didn't really understand how to I didn't understand it or how to engage with it mm-hmm. um but in aging and recognizing that like um color and multiracial um identities I, I am still black in this world and joyfully so And so, again, these are the ways that, like, yeah, right? I mean, like, (laughs) joyfully so. And being able to get into that, like, 
no longer look i mean there is there is a power in no longer looking for any group to define my understanding of self and i did look so often for like who's gonna make it make sense to me um and nobody could nobody could because who i mean who could i can say hey we share this or this you you know what i'm talking about like you know when that happens and that could be there but honestly it's always going to be your own independent experience it is mm-hmm. uh, it's not a monolithic experience um and so coming into that was transformative because in um in claiming my own self and in um working to gift that to my child i could i could better navigate that piece with with my own mother and really speak to more candidly than we ever had um her own racialized experience of raising black children mm-hmm. um of her own whiteness like those were pieces that we were able to finally speak about <laughs> mm-hmm. because we both had language now to talk about hey this is this is who we are mm-hmm. um and this is some of the difference that we sit across mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah you know i have a multiracial family <laughs> and you know i think about It is a challenge to parent by itself, but when you add in those additional elements, you know, there are things that you just can't solve for your child, like you were saying, you know, with your mom trying to solve things. There's things that they have to figure out on their own as much as you'd like to pad it or cushion it for them. You can't. Um, And so adding that additional layer of raising a child who is not of the same race as you, who will not be received by the world in the same way in which you are, you know, that's, that's gotta be incredibly challenging. But what were the ways in which your mother mothered you that were aligned with what you needed that, you know, nurtured you and the way you needed to be nurtured? Um, I will say this, and not in a shielding way at all, I was not super conscious of the fact that all families weren't mixed. Like, it didn't make any sense to me because I was like, well, he's darker than she is, and I'm in the, like, that's the way, like, families are colorful, you know? Like, that didn't, I was like, yeah, that's what that looks like. And when I saw depictions of black families, I saw a spectrum of color within those families. Mm -hmm. And when I read books in our home, or when I talked with my aunts, or when I looked back through family albums, or there was no piece of that that I was like, this is what families look like. So it wasn't, it it didn't shock me that that would be true. It was the way it was greeted by other people Mm -hmm. that made me conscious of the fact that like, this seems unwelcome to Mm -hmm. some. Um, And I don't know if that would be true in an all black family with a wide spectrum of color. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that experience would be like for the lightest amongst those children or family members. I really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do know that 
one of the ways that she mothered me as I needed to be mothered was that she, she just, she affirmed me. Even when she tried to fix it or didn't quite know and we'd have this conflict around like, that's not what I want you to say right now. We always circled back to, but I, but I hear you loving me. I hear you loving me. And I, um, she affirmed constantly um, who I was. <laughs> um, I had a third grade teacher who was categorically the worst, like the worst. <laughs> and he had us do a writing assignment one time where he asked us to write about we effectively were building like family and community trees. And he asked us to write a paragraph about uh, like a best friend. And I was a kid who sort of compartmentalized. Now listen, there's a whole, that's a whole other road to go down. But I did, I sort of compartmentalized. I had this activity, so I had a friend, like a closest friend there. And I then I was in theater and I had this closest friend here. And then there was like my friend from the block and there was my friend from here and like, this family friend who always comes over that kind of thing so my birthday parties were always a bunch of people being like who are you <laughs> um, and I'm probably still that way a little bit but I wrote to that effect and I said you know I'm the kind of person who <laughs> eight-year-old me I was like I'm the kind of person who <laughs> has friends all over and to write about one of them is to dismiss the other of them. And on some level, what I was trying to put language to is that like, I can't distance myself from any part of me. Um, and I didn't fully have that language, but that's where I was going. I can't take a piece away without somehow negating the whole, right? And he hated it. Oh, he railed on it. He sent a letter to home, to like a handwritten letter home to my mom. And I remember my mom walking into that building. She was like, hi. Um, <laughs> what we're not going to do is tell my child that she is unable to write about her world, about her relationships, about how she experiences it, it's a thousand percent not going to happen. And there was something about that that felt like I hadn't seen that piece of her. And it's not because I didn't give opportunity. I was chatty in class. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I was not an ideal student. So I had presented her with multiple opportunities to have to come to my defense in that way. But there was something about it that it was like, she knew that this was true to me and for me, and sh and, and that was what brought her in to be def like to to be defensive about it. And that is a thing that I needed. I needed to have. I needed to know that the most vulnerable, the most raw, the the things I was going to grow into with more nuance, but the pieces of me that were like true, I needed to know that I would be that someone would fight for that. Mm. And she fought for that. Yeah. She had no problem being like, sis, you gotta just turn in your homework. Like, I don't know what to tell you about that. You have to just turn it in and go turn in the homework. If you did it, <laughs> turn it in. But when I would say, hey, this is unjust and I am righteous about this, then she was up. Oh, it's 
get back in the car because we're going back to school and we will be talking to someone. And that was true whether it was at school or in the community. If I had a dis- if I had a disagreement with a friend, my mom was real quick to be like, well, is it because it's a disagreement or is there something deeper we need to be talking? Like she did not have any problem cutting to the quick of it or letting me cut to the quick of it and being in defense of that. And And to this day... I mean, she tries to problem solve a lot of the little things, but if I go to her and I say, this is unjust, she'd be like, who do I need? Who am I talking to? <laughs> <laughs> what do I need to do about it? And that for me... Anybody can get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And I think that even as I say that, I'm I'm realizing I think she may have been shown that. Like in that community that she built to ensure that I soft not just families but women that I would grow into I think she saw that as a cultural um response Mm -hmm. to injustice to um to like generational concern right and I think that she did learn that just as she she sought out black hairstylists like she she, you know what I mean she was the kind of long before I ever saw like multiculturalism sort of be this charge of how our children's libraries look like my library was Jerry Pinckney that was exclusively you know what I mean from day one and she was fierce about that and I do think that she was shown that um and she's really never wavered. And that that is a piece that I needed in mothering. And she has stayed that course. She sounds fierce. She's fierce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's the kind of lady I'm like, you don't want to, if you messed it up, you probably don't want to take it home. <laughs> <laughs> Did you witness your mother mothering herself? my mother allowing herself to be mothered mm-hmm. but I did not witness her doing that mm-hmm. for herself um, I'll, I'll briefly just sort of explain that she had a um, has always had some women in her life um, with whom she's very close mm-hmm. and so I I have overheard or I have seen her be in conversation with them and be vulnerable with them and accepting their care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did witness that in community. And I think that translated for me uh, as a, as a younger woman, I was, I was comforted most by community, but it did. I did have to grow into mothering my own self because I didn't really see what that looked like Mm -hmm. and aunts um mothers of friends sort of community caregivers I don't know that I really saw them I saw them give it to each other Mm -hmm. but I don't know that I saw them give it to themselves Mm -hmm. and so that yeah so how did you learn to to mother yourself when did you 
when did it even occur to you that you needed to mother yourself? Um, I suppose that I first learned to mother myself um, because I I demanded that somebody love me like I needed to be loved. And to some degree, that was uh, the shock of coming out of a dynamic that had been so uh, ruinous to my spirit Mm -hmm. that I moved into a place of um, just real, a, a firm boundary of I will, I will be treated this way but even as I set that firm boundary I realized that I I probably hadn't ever been treated that way I didn't really know how to take it Mm -hmm. if someone had walked up to me and offered me that love I would have been like "Mm, I'm not (laughs) ready for it what do you do with that (laughs) I don't understand how to take that Mm -hmm. um so it meant actually that I created a lot of distance from romantic or intimate love, mm-hmm. at which point I, I, the love that I was going to receive while being single parent to an infant was necessarily from myself. Like mm-hmm. that was the love that I was going to receive in that moment. I did not have the time to be getting it anywhere else in any kind of capacity. Um, so it was from me and it was, I was still living in New Orleans at the time, um, and it was calling home to my mother. And after two years of that, I came home. So I had a two-year-old, I had me, my mom, um, in my parents' house. And that was when I was able then to articulate, mom, this is what I need. This is what I need. And when I began to accept, I mean, it's it's healing that mother wound, right? Like when I began to accept from her and when she was able to give the, the love I needed or to, to offer the action of it exactly as I needed, um, then it, I don't know, it healed some, it healed some aches, you know? Mm-hmm. And it became easier even at first when it wasn't even true to say things like I love myself (laughs) and if you start saying it at some point it it clicks it really does because it hurts too much for that to be untrue so you have to work out the part that that can make that true um I suppose I also learned to love myself because I I love my child as an extension of myself. You know, it's a it's a that's my blood. That is and and li- that is literally she took my blood. It's in her body. She <laughs> had my blood. She stole it from me. You know, like, um, that is my blood. That is my breath. These are those things that are her birthright birthrights through my existence and if I don't love on myself and if I don't uh fill myself with love I how does she know how to do it Mm. yeah 
Sorry, I just need to sit with that for a second. <laughs> you know, it sounds simple too. Well, I'll love myself, so then she'll know how to. And in mm-hmm. practice, it's not. That That's is hard. not simple business, mm-hmm. but it's the work. Um, And that's why I do see all of my work as being an act of mothering. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in some ways, it's it's Sankofa, right? Like, you got to go back and get that for yourself so that you can bring that forward, so that you can carry that through you onto... uh, It's... Yes. Yes. I wish to grow into the ancestor that my children's children children deserve to claim and so that means I have to love me so that I can demand a world or relationships or work that that gives me what I deserve and what she deserves Mm -hmm. um so you know really simple (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so last question. If someone were to ask you for advice, if they were to say, when I am mothering myself, when I am mothering another, whether that's mothering friend or a child or whomever it may be, what is something that I need to keep in mind? What is something that I must not forget? What would you share? You must not forget your purpose for that mothering. I... uh, in, In moments of mothering my child, as an example, in moments of mothering her, I'm, I consider what is my purpose in this moment? And if my purpose is connected to control or expectation or, or um, sort of like utility, ease, just moving through, mm-hmm. then I may have lost sight of, of the deeper need for my mothering Mm. because anyone can do that anyone can just and so I so I have worked to try to uh, mother her to know what I'm needed for Mm. Mm -hmm. um and I suppose the same is true with friendships and with other relationships. It, what is the, what is our purpose in this place together with one another? It's not just that I have this title mother mm-hmm. or I'm good at it. So you bring it to my door. What is it you need me for? Because if you seek me out, I'm, I'm going to give all of that much like with my own mother. When I come to her door, she has to know that I am coming sometimes just to lay stuff down. And I have to know that if I lay things down at that door, she's going to pick them up and she's going to find a way to carry them somewhere. Mm -hmm. So we have to know like what 
then why do why do I come to her mm -hmm. if I don't want that mm -hmm. then I could take that to some other door so mm -hmm. uh, if we're when we're mothering others or mothering ourselves, it's not just what is our like what is our need because in some way that becomes self-serving mm -hmm. it's what's the what are you receiving what makes this nourishing for you mm -hmm. does that yeah yeah <sighs> yeah because in that way i really think we allow more mothering into our spaces we allow without guilt mm -hmm. or without um frustration or without hurt pride to be able to say i i i must receive this mm -hmm. so i've sought that um is a consciousness of self that that i think heals more than um i need this thing and you have not fulfilled it for me mm -hmm. um Thank you. Um, so at this time, if anyone uh, participating would like to ask a question or if something came up for you during this conversation that you would like to share, um, please feel free to do that. I'm Nana. I want to say... Um, I really appreciate, especially that you figured out to just say, look, it's what I'm going to go ahead and need, both in how you're being mothered and how you mother. For me, I'll be 60 at the end of the year, and I swear to God, I didn't start figuring it out until I was in my 50s. So if anything, I would say to all the young folks listening out there, um, I do appreciate that, Adrian. That that that's really, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes we want people to guess, we want them to guess what's in our head and what we need, and um, and for them to figure it out. I don't know what it is. I I don't. I'm not saying you all are that way, but maybe I was. But it is. Um, there's a certain type of a personality, right, that can offer that. And so even if all of us don't have that, like I didn't have that in my personality, um, and I figured it out late because you have that formula, it's a good one for all of us. So I appreciate it because we don't have to necessarily, you know, in our personality say, oh, that's, I could never do this or that. I, you better, you know, just go ahead and tell folks what you need or what you don't need. Um, otherwise, it's just too much. Uh, my teacher would say nyama nyama like mess so um right on for like you know figuring that out while you're having all those journeys and struggles yeah. you know like as we all do you know as mothers and as daughters shoot I, I when i'm at my mother's if i go take the trash out she spares me if i put the lid on it so i'm like i'm a grandmother <laughs> so we have to tell folks so right on and thank you yeah I, you know, I do see, oh no, I was just gonna say that I see a parallel between the way that we 
ask to be loved and the way that we demand um, responsiveness in the world. And as we strengthen that muscle to say, this is how I need to be received by my most intimate circles, then we also strengthen the muscle that says, also, and look, I need policy around the way that you will and will not be engaging with me in the world. Yeah. You know? like, yes. And I think that the, there are connections. Like, that's a, that is a through line. Yes. Um, and a pretty direct <laughs> one. And as, as that builds, as our capacity for that builds, I think it, we take on uh, an energy together, like collectively, we build this force to say, uh, um, here's how you're going to treat me. <laughs> yes. and, and see that that is um, a love of myself, not a and this was part of a journey that I went through, right? Like not stepping into tropes about my black womanhood when I say, here's how you're going to treat me because I'm, I, am, I am deserving of that as a living human being. Here's how you're going to treat me. This is the rule book for the user guide <laughs> for loving me. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is right and true <laughs> and earned. Yeah. Well, bravo. And I love the through line for all of us that, that if we're, even for folks out there picketing and saying this is what we need with policy and education, that we can look at it in our life. Like it's right. for everyone. So thank you. Yeah, that's the sustainable piece, man. Like go home and do you, are you saying the same? Like do you, <laughs> I probably picketed at home long before I picketed anywhere else, right? Like I was marching around the house like, you will treat me this <laughs> way. Also received um, when I came and said I am. This is unjust in my in my home or in my experience, and I was received in a loving way um, by my mother. It uh, it affirmed for me that I could ask for that beyond my mother as well. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Oh, this was amazing. It's interesting, um, you know, how you, how you talked about how your mother kind of had that defensiveness for you when you said this isn't just, and you had those moments um, and felt supported in that. Um, you know, I, I, even in this moment, there is this like guilt that lays on me any time that I'm about to say something that feels like a negative light on my mom because I, you know, there is this reality of I know that our parents do the best until they know better. And, um, but there was very much for me, it was, you know, young people. I don't know if it was as extreme as should be seen and not heard, but it was very much like, you know, you don't have the, maturity or knowledge like you don't know what you're talking about like you know that's silly and so not having that support um and kind of coming to that reality and acknowledging that um has kind of put me in this place now and in the world now where I feel like I have to repeatedly ask myself the question 
how am I showing up and, and who is it for? Is it my voice? And it's, and it's, it's just an ongoing thing. And when, when you get a glimpse of what your true voice is, it's like that excitement of, oh, wow, here it's coming and it's coming. And as a mother now, like you had said earlier, just the importance of showing that and being that, you know, defensive in the honor of just and, and what's right, like just that whole learning process has been um, pretty magical. And just hearing you speak that as your mother and just kind of, it just sent a bolt of lightning through me of like, oh yes, I want to, I want to be that. I want to grab that and embody that. And so thank you for sharing that because it's just another piece. Yeah. You know, a thing I'm trying to, um, I have to tell this to myself a lot because it pops up a lot, but I want to raise a, a person who moves into the world and makes good trouble. And if that is true, and if I want that for her in her life, then I have to allow that she's going to make good trouble now, too. <laughs> that that's not a thing she just grows into. That it happens now. And the way that I engage with that with her sets the stage for how how brave she is in, in creating that for herself in the future. Um, and that she is an equal participant in our relationship and that her childhood is not a thing that I'm giving to her. It is her life, her immediate right now existence. And if, if I don't engage with that, like it's as real for her as it feels then then I think that's an injustice. And, and so I think each generation gets to um, heal a little deeper or heal a new part. Um, maybe it's not the depth of the layers. Maybe it's tending to many spaces and sending that bit out you know um but I I absolutely had a, a childhood that um wherein both of my parents had a sense of um of wishing to communicate <laughs> a deference <laughs> to authority and I lovingly rejected that idea um, and I think that was, that was, I created work then in engaging with me. Um, and so that is why I offer like such love and gratitude to my mother because it didn't shut her off to me either. And it, I mean, it could have, it could have, it could have become a, a dynamic wherein I wasn't a respectful child um, and instead I think she has seen me become an adult that 
um, that demands respect and gives respect um, and 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 like other other verbs too I command it too sometimes I earn it right like I I have a high I want that for myself and I ask a lot of it from others and so I think she has um, grown into that understanding with me and um, and has stayed committed to me which modeled for me that sense of like oh we are in this together and it did require then me going back and seeing some of the ways that I really pushed up against that I really questioned and was contradictory because I was trying to make sense of it um and in not giving up on me or our partnership she made it clear that we get to let it grow um and that the tending to it sometimes looks like like letting it become that thing that you're like I don't know I don't know do I water it or I have no idea what to do with it right now you know and then there are other times when when it's flourishing and you think I haven't touched it what if I'm just not gonna touch it because it looks great you know and all of the pieces in between but I want to um I want to create I want to co-create a partnership with my child wherein we both grow into our best selves um and I will be varying degrees of successful as was my mother and her mother but if I admit that's where that purpose piece comes in if I return to that like what is what do you need to receive from me what do I need to receive from you then then we can stand eye to eye and and sort of build that together I think (laughs) thank you so Adrian hi um you said that you have to let your kids learn the like they have to learn within learn the lesson to stand up for themselves within your relationships as kids right and i realized and i have a, i've been having a lot of conversations with my brother and as you can see about the idea that you can't instantly be an adult at 18 right you have to learn your lessons as you're getting older or as you're growing up and if you stifle the uh the like not uh not not inquisitiveness but like the the bite back that kids can have right the standing up for themselves and all of a sudden expect them to do that in the real world when they get over it's impossible right Mm -hmm. there has to be at some point a level of understanding that you can't just fight back day one without having any kind of scaffolding um and so that really actually needed within me to kind of as an entrepreneur because lord knows i don't have any children um the ability to let them learn lessons on their own and have that where i can't learn everything for you i can't i can't teach you everything and my heart headed that always needed to learn so who am i to say that somebody else can right so and it's just like learning you, you you're not infinitely adult at 18 and if you can't live with an opinion 
or with any kind of being able to stand up yourself in your home, how can you do it outside? It's hard. B, I am mousy. And it feels, <laughs> it is, I am tired. <laughs> but I know that I didn't learn that immediately. And it was just the, the back and forth between my mother and I, the kind of her not wanting me to stand up and assert myself has kind of made it easier to be like, I'm not taking this from nobody. Because if I don't take it from my mama, I certainly am not from you. 100%. That's right. A couple of things I'm thinking is, um, one, is I'm not I'm not raising a child that will become an adult. I am caretaking a human being who will depend less and less on me for functional skills <laughs> over the course of their lifetime, ideally, right? Um, another piece is that, like, she's in the real world. That Her world is real. She may not have all the complexity. She may not have the bills. She may not, but, like, what are we, what do we mean when we say you're, when you get to the real world? Your experience is real. And I know this because black and brown children the world over are experiencing deeply adult moments, understandings, reckonings, day after day after day. And so to pretend as if they're not full citizens of this experience robs them of the opportunity to grow into the kind of citizens we hope they will become. Um, and I think that that's a, uh, I think that's on some level, mm, it's cultural and it's a racialized um, gifting of innocence to certain children. Some children are afforded an innocence. And, um, and so when I think about what really does it mean for me as a, as a black parent to raise a black child, um, it, it doesn't just mean ripping the rug out from underneath you and being like, yo, it's like this. It, what it means is strengthening your capacity to engage with the world because, yo, it's like this. And I, I wish for you to... Um, I wish for you to have, uh, I wish for your emotional and intellectual and spiritual courage and resiliency to be sustainable. Um, and so part of that is letting you like snap at me so that you learn that's not really the way that you wanted to engage with me. You're mad about something else. Go snap at them. <laughs> I'm here. I'll let you, you know, <laughs> go snap at them if you're mad at them, if that's what it is. But if you're at, like, right, um, those pieces feel like, and that's what I mean, really, when I say motherhood as resistance um, or mothering as resistance, it is nurturing a, a legacy that will not bow down about what is right and true for them or to them or about them. Um, 
and sometimes that looks like, you know, sometimes that looks like taking a snappy child off the hands of someone else and being like, I got you. You do whatever you need to do. I'll deal with this for a second. So that you can be that force of othering too, right? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I I am reminded of this common theme um, in the first season of Our Mother's Gardens when I was talking um, with the women who were on the show about remembering our own humanity in our mothering, remembering, you know, the humanity of our mothers who are mothering us and remembering the humanity of our children. You know, as you keep saying, what is the the real world you know their world is real and the complexity of what our children feel is just as real you know as whatever it is that we're experiencing and holding space for that experience is so important again you know as you and akasha were talking about if they don't have a space in the home or even if you don't provide for yourself a space where you hold space for your own humanity, then how do you do that outside of your home, outside of yourself, if you don't hold that space here? Yes. Yeah. And, like, and maybe another piece of it is how do you how do you move between spaces, home and world? Mm-hmm. If you don't have those practices or if you don't have those dynamics with your people, then how do you navigate the times when for any reason you, you couldn't make those waves or you couldn't demand what you needed or you couldn't even gently ask for what you needed or you have and it's been denied right like there has to be a place where you get to come home and and I mean that as literally as I do metaphorically there has to be a place within you and around you that you can come and lay that down um and to do that to ensure that I'm creating that space because it's not always going to look beautifully delivered. It's not always going to be, wow, that was a really challenging day for me today. And I felt that (laughs) my humanity was negated and just, you know, it wasn't like a dignified experience that I had. It's not how it goes. Like that is not how it goes. You come home and it is rage filled and rightly so. Um, And so when sis comes home and she like can't form sentences and is stomping around about who who knows what then my work sometimes is just to actually hold space for her to name what I see to give that lovingly back to her to give her that language to say that was not a dignified the way you were treated that was not right so that she can say yeah it was not it was not right and sometimes it's me sometimes it's me that I have to say I treated you in a way that you feel is unacceptable so that she can say 
yes, I absolutely deserve to watch another episode of this. And I cannot, and I know I'm not trivializing because, but I'm saying like, that's her world sometimes. And those things that feel insignificant to me feel monumental to her. And if I take that from her, then when it's real world, Mm -hmm. then she will trivialize it for herself. Well, maybe it's not that important. Maybe it's not that meaningful. Maybe it doesn't matter that they can't just say my name right. And she'll just let it chip away bit by bit by bit. Um, That's not sustainable. That is not spiritually sustainable. And she doesn't deserve it. And so I I have to be the place that says, like, no, sis, make them say your name. Yes. Make them say it. to in mothering my child I also wish to 
ensure that she's surrounded by that community because what she needs to receive cannot just flow one direction. She needs to be able to explore uh, how those um, how those spaces in her are filled by others and quite frankly it's an individualistic society that tells us that you go be independent and be self-sufficient and need no one and you have one mother and that's like that's i'm not here for that i don't think we're meant to live like that i think we're meant to live in community and i think we're meant to depend upon a multitude of people and so we must allow those people to be in a variety of roles to us um, and to take on a variety of, of like stances and work in response to us. Um, and to feel that we have been supported in growing into um, our own capacity to give that to other people, to ask for or to advocate for ourselves. Um, so, so yes, so yes, I, I absolutely received, and there's an intuitiveness about it, right? I, like, there's a sort of uh, real recognizes real, kind of like you're out there and someone sees in you like, oh, you need me to do this for you. <laughs> You need this love that I have to give you. And I think when those organic bonds are created, um, it it would be a disservice to ourselves and to a broader community, like a global community, for us to cut those short or to um, diminish them in any way. So there is such value and power, I suppose, is what I'm saying, in... Um, in allowing for as much mothering as we can take and then as much mothering as we can give. I think that is a beautiful world, um, a beautiful life. Yeah. And what, what a beautiful, way to close and just as I encouraged everyone to take a deep breath when we began I'd like everyone to take a deep breath now and hold space for that world you know hold space inside of yourself inside your mind's eye of what that world is where that kind of mothering exists, where we mother in community, where we can ask for what we need, where there are those who are present to give us what they have to offer in a way that is in alignment with what we need. So let's all just take a deep breath. And another one. And another one, because I like threes. <sighs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Mother's Gardens. 
If you want to support the show, you can make a sustaining donation on Patreon by visiting our page, Our Mother's Gardens. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Our Mother's Gardens PC. Our Mother's Gardens is a Honey Bunch of Stinkweed production. The podcast features music produced by Pata.